Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Didn't even record that. I didn't catch it. Oh. Yep. Are you are you catching this? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm catching this. We'll see. Uh, this may be a complete disaster. Complete. Unmitigated. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I've missed you a lot. Uh, I, I have missed you, and I'm glad that you're back in the land of the living. This is a horrible five weeks of nastiness. It really... I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you... That was really awful. It was so bad. It was so bad. Uh, so this is uh, just uh, before we uh, get too far down the road on my illness. Uh, this is The Next Reel. Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us and listening. And you may be... It's quite possible you may be listening to the show live on the internet. That's right. You can now go to thenextreel.com slash live. And when we broadcast, usually it's uh, Thursday. Usually Thursday nights, we usually get started around 8, 8.30. And uh, I think 8, we're going to... 8, 8.30... Uh, Pacific uh, time. Pacific time. Pacific time. And we're going to... Th- I think we're going to try this for a little while. Try and keep the old uh, the old live channel open. And we don't have a way uh, tonight to uh, take... Uh, uh, instant insta questions we're not monitoring twitter we're not monitoring uh, facebook right now but right now we're just talking and testing so but so if you are joining us welcome um and if you're not uh join us hopefully for future weeks as we get this going uh we Definitely. uh we uh spoil movies and we don't feel a lot of guilt about that here at the next reel because usually they're really old movies and you should feel the guilt for not having seen them um uh, but we do we do spoil them heavily, and you should know that going in. So if you don't want to be spoiled, not our fault. If you don't stop right now and go listen, go watch the movie, and then come back, that's your job. Uh, you can find us on our website at thenextreel.com. Uh, listen to the ch- show, check out any of the trailers that we talk about. You can also uh, like us on facebook.com slash thenextreel. And uh, it sure helps us if you like us. It helps other people discover uh, the show. You can catch up with us at uh, on the phone even. You can leave us a fancy voicemail at 657-201-7335, 657-201-REAL, the heart of Anaheim. If you leave us a message, we might just play it on the air. You can email us at show at the next reel. And uh, if you're listening to the show on the website, go subscribe to the show in iTunes. Uh, by far the largest uh, uh, the largest portion of our listenership comes in iTunes. You can uh, leave us a five-star rating. It helps. It definitely helps other people discover the show if you do that. So did I leave anything out? I think you got every little thing. Excellent. Uh, so now... Um, I I don't need to talk about my illness anymore. Yeah, it's gone. It's, it's in the gone. past. It's right? gone. It's in the past. You know, I'm still on the antibiotics, which are which are really fantastic. 
And, uh, you know, I wish they would add something to antibiotics, you know, I mean, as long as it it doesn't, it just makes you kind of feel better, but not great. (laughs) You know, if there was, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, it'd be great in an antibiotic, a narcotic. (laughs) (laughs) That would be that would really make. Just, uh, I, I think that might defeat the purpose. But. I'm just saying a little boost. I felt like junk, and I'm telling you, my doctor could have thrown me a bone. I'm not a yeah. drug user, and I'm not an advocator. Uh, I don't advocate drugs. Drug use. Uh, disclaimer. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. So what are we what are we going to talk about tonight? We've got we got a couple trailers we're gonna we're gonna chew on, and uh, and then we're gonna we're, now we're officially going to wrap up our current series. Right. Yeah. So tonight we're officially wrapping up our John Houston series. Uh, this round of our John Houston series with 1985's Pritzi's Honor. Fantastic. After we discuss, uh, I actually am not bringing a trailer to the table today. I'm. I was going to talk about uh, the new TV series, if you can call it that, uh, Netflix series House of Cards. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really. A fantastic show. I'm not quite halfway through it, and uh, you know, it's really, it's exciting what Netflix is doing with with uh, shows like this. Uh, they've got, I think, this, and uh, uh, Eli Roth has some sort of a horror show that they're going to be doing, uh, releasing next month, I believe, and then uh, and then Arrested Development returns. So they're kind of cranking this whole little. Uh, experiment of theirs out, and I have a feeling it's going to be quite a success. Well, it feels like a lot more than an experiment, if you ask me. I, I, they they're putting enough money behind it and removing enough of the uh, constraints of the restraints that that um, uh, typical television that that falls uh, or into typical television production. That uh, you know, I heard a great quote from the from the content strategist or the chief digital content guy at netflix and and i can't remember his name i'll have to dig up the the uh, source but he said you know our our job is to you know become hbo before hbo becomes netflix yeah and uh and you're really seeing that with uh, it just truly amping the quality of of the um, independent shows and i love the uh the binge uh i I love binging on shows Oh, it's it's the best. You it's, get all thirteen episodes like they release them all the same day. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. And it, aside from that, it's an actually a fantastic show. David Fincher is one of the executive producers, along with Kevin Spacey, Eric and, Roth. And didn't Fincher direct the first two episodes? He directed the first two or three of yeah. the episodes. Yeah, and then and then I think uh, um, uh, James Foley directed a couple. And uh, and uh, Joel Schumacher, like they're getting some yeah. big name people to come on board and direct these episodes, showing that it is a it is really an a game sort of production that they're putting on here. Yeah, it's 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 very smart and bringing you know Fincher and these people on to start. I think uh, this whole thing that they're doing now is really a, a smart way to go. Well, you know, I wonder, it, it has such appeal from a, from a production standpoint, you know, if you were, if you're a, a director interested in serial, I mean, how exciting would it be to go do something for ABC studios uh, versus, um, you know, Netflix, which really is, is trying to do things differently. It's trying, it's, it's, uh, you know, funding at appropriate levels to do something really big, uh, which I think is very appealing, very exciting for guys like Fincher and Foley, and and um, I 
it, you can just really tell uh, these are not. This is not a typical series. I mean, it feels like you're each each episode is a is a film. Yeah, uh, it's that level of sort of quality and and intrigue. Really well I'm, written. I'm curious how it's going to fit in to the world of awards since it's not on broadcast television. Well, you know, Nielsen announced today, uh, today or yesterday, I think that they um, uh, that they're now including streaming. Oh. Uh, as uh, first-class citizens in measurement. Well, there you go. And and so I think that will change some things. And I think they did it largely because of House of Cards and uh, and uh, our friends the Bluths that are coming back. I mean, I think there is enough sort of popular momentum around these shows on alternative networks. And for, I think it's great. It's frankly what uh, you know what new networks like you know what YouTube is frankly trying to do. And and um, uh, really to to get to get some notice uh, that there's quality material online. And, you know, it's really going to be interesting because Netflix, you know, there have been reports that have since come out how Netflix is is so tapped into all of the data that they get from viewers. They know when you watch a show. They know when you pause a show. They right. know when you turn a show off. They know how often you rewatch a show. They have all the statistics that they need about your household and they can use those statistics to better determine what sorts of programming that they should continue to do. A lot of people um, that I've been reading or, or seeing comments on some of these articles seem to be a little nervous about that, uh, afraid of you know how this could turn into nothing but uh, you know Netflix spinning out the uh, the next, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you know, the sort of stuff that isn't necessarily good, but they have determined through the data that it will make a lot of money. Um, I, I don't know. I think that there's still going to be a level of quality. And, and if they're working with quality people, I feel like they're still going to find uh, the right audiences and, and be making the right project projects. You know, it's funny. I, I, I've seen Reed Hastings speak a couple of times, uh, Reed Hastings, CEO of Netflix. And I think what's, what's really important to, to sort of meter that sentiment uh, is that, frankly, this is a guy that deeply loves film, right? I mean, he, he's an entrepreneur, but he is an educator, he's a philanthropist, uh, and he, uh, he is a guy who is very passionate about media. And I have a hard time, you know, this is one of those feelings that it is just sort of a gut check feeling that when you look at the leadership of the organization of Netflix and you see what he is, they have, they've tried to do what they have done to successfully change, you know, the media landscape in this country and, and our expectations for, uh, you know, sort of popular media. I have a hard time believing that this is a, this is a guy who's going to allow the data to sabotage quality. Yeah. I think what they're trying to do is establish a baseline of high quality and and sort of go from there. I mean, I, I see Netflix as the next seeder for uh, Game of Thrones uh, more than Crystal Skull. Well, uh, you know, I can I can see where people are getting that fear because, I mean, to be honest, producing 13 hours of a show in one go without having any test to see if it's going to work. Right. I mean, they really have to make sure that that show is, uh, you know, up to snuff before they invest that money. Because if they 
dump it out in yeah. one day, dump the, a 13 episode show, and nobody's interested. I mean, that's a lot of money they just blew. Well, it is, but when you think about it, really, the 13 episodes is the test. You can't get a test of a of a concept like this without doing the whole thing, right? Yeah. And what well, it determines right. is, if nobody's interested, then we won't get any more 13-episode series, you know, until, you know, the right story comes along. But I do not see that as the case for uh, uh, House of Cards. It seems like they, they pick just the right... Uh, boy, just the right content, the right concept in the right context right now in our period of political history that makes it so interesting to watch this this story unravel. It feels not fictional. Yeah, it really it doesn't. It feels like I'm watching. Yeah, uh, it news. feels like I'm getting an inside scoop. Yeah. Until, so this is what they're up to. Yeah, exactly. Up on, up on Capitol Hill. Have you uh, you know, the, the original, the BBC uh, version of House of Cards is available on Netflix. And if you haven't checked it out, it's it's definitely worth checking out to uh, yeah. by comparison alone. It's a fascinating story. Yeah, I definitely want to check you, it out too. You know, my my trailer of the uh, of the evening is 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 kind of in the same vein uh, in terms of changing media landscape and how this stuff gets created. Um, I am fascinated by this new trailer for Finding Vivian Meyer. Have you seen this thing? Yeah, it it looks pretty interesting. Uh, Finding Vivian Meyer is a is a documentary that um, uh, unravels this sort of discovery at auction of a collection of a hundred thousand negatives from this nanny uh, who really, I mean, is, it turns out is one of the premier street photographers in uh, uh, what is it when she's already dead Uh, in posthumous posthumously. She's a, uh, she is fantastic. And this guy, this, uh, this guy discovered at all, he paid like 300 bucks for this set of, um, of uh, this whole collection of negatives and started like 700 uh, undeveloped cans of film. Uh, And it turns out this woman who was a nanny for these two kids and this family for the longest time um, had this very mysterious sort of secretive, uh, life and uh, so this film uh, was originally a Kickstarter project. This awesome. guy, uh, this guy, just found this collection and thought, "I could." This is, sounds like a great story, and he, he asked for twenty grand. And uh, out of fourteen hundred ninety-five backers, uh, he ended up w- uh, raising one hundred and five thousand uh, dollars to tell this story. And I, I think that is, uh, you know, sure there are a lot of these stories about. Um, you know about the, we see the the Keystone stories right where every where they're funded they make hundreds of thousands of dollars and and uh, it's all great uh, you know that's just a drop in the bucket compared to those that don't get funded but but in this case I think it really demonstrates um, uh, you know the power of getting out of a traditional studio model I don't I don't think this film would have been made uh, or w- without that sort of the sort of public and and popular support that Kickstarter allows it to uh, allowed it to achieve. So it's a fascinating story. The trailer, as it uh, the new trailer, as it uh, sort of unravels, is a is a um, it really sort of introduces this new secret uh, kind of mystery angle that that was missing from the initial uh, Kickstarter video. And I think it's uh, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating to watch. So I definitely think you should check that out. Check out the Kickstarter page. You can't, uh, you know, you can't back it anymore. It's uh, It's been funded. Um, but, uh, but it's certainly worth looking at the story that this guy built to, uh, uh, to, to get his film made. Yeah, it looks really interesting. Yeah. 
fantastic. Vivian Meyer, just un- unreal. And great photos too. I uh, mean, uh, her her photos, just the way that she captures uh, people's expressions uh, in the, the doing things that look so natural. It's uh, yeah, pretty stunning stuff. It is. It's wonderful. So I'm very excited about that. So uh, it's a whole new media, new media extravaganza. Here, here. Okay, now, are we ready? I mean, are we just going to jump right into it? I guess yeah. We'll we'll uh, you know, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get me anything. How do you know? I just didn't mail it. <laughs> <laughs> I had happened my aunt once. My I love my aunt. And she once uh, like we went to uh I went to visit my aunt. She says, "Yeah, I've got like 5 years of Christmas presents for you and your family sitting in my closet." Uh <laughs> didn't know it was coming. Nice. Ended up getting a uh, a uh, an April uh booty, April Christmas booty. <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah it was great socks and tupperware and all sorts of good stuff there's a combination <laughs> every kid wants that's right <laughs> socks and tupperware that's right you heard what a it. giver what a giver what a kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh pritzy's honor john houston pritzy's honor 1990 1985 yeah yeah uh, starring jack nicholson kathleen turner robert loggia angelica houston uh the great william hickey and uh, uh, even better, the fact that John Randolph and William Hickey are in this movie together. I had forgotten that. <laughs> and that makes me... I, I mean, I was giddy watching this movie. John Randolph and, and William Hickey were both uh, in the great National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation together. Well, there you go. Oh, my goodness. When I saw them on screen together, I just, I, you know... <laughs> I got the chills ran up my neck. I was like, Uncle Lewis! <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, right. Okay, so what do you think of this movie? We were, I, if I recall, you uh, when we we added this movie to the list, we're jumping many decades from the yes. last film that we covered, and you, I think, uh, had not seen this movie in forever, right? And I think we're we're nervous. I, I you know, I, I don't know if I was nervous, but I just hadn't seen it since college, and uh, I just was I wasn't sure what I was going to expect when I uh, when I popped it in again. And you know, I liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as I was thinking I would. Um, but I, even though I I didn't quite like it as much, I did find it imminently watchable. Yeah, but what? Okay, I'm really curious what elements of it you found not so watchable. Because there were some in there that I, there were some things going on in this movie that were hard to watch for me. Well, I, I, I appreciate what uh, Jack Nicholson was trying to do with his character. (laughs) But all I could think about was that he had, I, I just kept picturing him going, okay, Marlon Brando stuffed cotton balls in his cheeks <laughs> and did such a great job in the godfather i'm gonna do the same thing but i'm gonna stuff it all up under my upper <laughs> lip <laughs> like i'm fighting a horrendous bloody nose <laughs> and that i i just had i always had a hard time watching him because he looked like he had stuffed cotton balls under his lip upper he lip did. and he totally <laughs> did or botox like gone oh, yeah. totally wrong <laughs> 
Yeah, it, that was that was a struggle. All right, that was, the, that was that was the exact same struggle I had, and as prominent a role as he has in this film, <laughs> it is tough to watch this performance from Nicholson, and it it makes it's it's such a bittersweet kind of a thing because I have a real affinity for Jack Nicholson. I think as many people do, and to see him kind of waddle through this film with this that in horrendous accent. Uh, it, all I could think about was that Al Pacino turned down this role, and huh. and I found myself thinking about that a, a lot during this. What would what would AP have done uh, in this film, uh, or what would MB have done, Marlon Brando? Marlon Brando. What would Brando have done? I mean, it's just it, oh man. It was, and and you know, I mean, I'll just jump to the uh, awards for this, but I mean, it was a well. Um, loved film back in 1985. It a surprise well-loved film. Yeah, it received um, eight Oscar nominations, one of which was Jack Nicholson as Best Actor in a Leading Role. He didn't win. He he just was nominated, um, but still. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 was, have... I was <laughs> a little surprised by that. <laughs> that would have been horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. William Hurt uh, won uh, out for Kiss of the Spider Woman and definitely... Uh, uh, deserved it well and, and though this uh this film was nominated for a number of things a, a number of awards best picture best director best actor best supporting actor uh, uh hickey's performances as the don best screenplay based on material from another meeting so it's an adaptation from the book uh by uh richard condon best costume design and best film editing but what it won for was angelica houston's uh best supporting actress portrayal as may rose Pritzi. Yeah, which was fantastic. She was really great, and I have always loved Angelica Houston, even in the Tinkerbell movies. <laughs> she's she's great. I've always loved her. She was in a great movie when I was younger called um, The Witches, which is based on a Roald Dahl book, which I loved. She was in the Adams Fa- the Adams Family movies, the Royal Tenenbaums. I yeah. mean, she's just always been wonderful in everything she's done she was great in 50 50 uh you know yeah, i mean but you I, know here's the thing about angelica houston though that she i, I have never I, I had forgotten that she was in this movie right and i have never seen her as uh cute no i i would agree i i can find her um you know sexy in a uh, kind of a classical uh when i say classical i mean going back to the renaissance yeah <laughs> <laughs> portrait sort of way right yeah like i i can see her you know in that sense uh she's got this beauty that it, you know but i it's not something that you're really attracted to you, you're really I agree not with you there. and and uh, this movie I found myself really touched by the sort of adorableness of May Rose Pritzi, and and uh, I, I found her just sort of beautiful and uh, kind of sexy, but uh, flirtatious and a little bit nuts, mm-hmm. uh, but in in all the right ways. And the the way the overall sort of arc of the film uh, sort of starts with you know where where we're we're sort of introduced to her character as the crazy scorned kind of um, you know out of the family daughter of of the boss uh, right. because this relationship with uh, Charlie um, Nicholson's character had had gone south and then it ends on her 
staring out the window, accepting an invitation to dinner from Charlie. That mm-hmm. that sort of romantic circle of life, I think, ends up making her character, like everything they go through in this film, uh, it ends up making her, I think, the most interesting character in the film. Um, you know, certainly the most watchable. Well, and I think it ties into the whole idea of the the honor, Pritzi's honor, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's the honor that Charlie has to show the family because he is, you know, he's in it not not directly uh, uh, in the bloodline, mm-hmm. but by you know being a part of the family, and you know he does you know the little. Uh, you know, prick on the finger, and he and the Don, you know, do the little uh, yeah, blood, blood brother sort of thing. Uh, so there's that, but it's it's you know you've got the the Pritzy's honor that Charlie has to stand up for, um, and in the whole relationship that he has with um, uh, uh, Kathleen Turner's character. Right. But then there's also the Pritzy's honor that we have in May Rose and how she lost her honor essentially because of Charlie. Um, and even though everybody essentially kind of blamed her because I guess, you know, she was the woman, she must've been at fault. She was the reason that he, you know, went and philandered with another woman. And so she went and philandered with another guy and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, But it's also bringing her honor back into the family and essentially by now reconnecting with Charlie, I guess, theoretically, she has regained her honor in the Pritzy family. Yeah, there was a strange twist, and and maybe it's because I did not grow up in a mafia family. Uh, where you did? I thought I thought we both did. <laughs> the the <radionis. laughs> Um that uh, somehow her honor was redeemed when Charlie got married to another woman. Yeah, I didn't understand that. That didn't make any sense to me. I, I it didn't make sense to me either. I think it was because they felt that she shamed him um, in in their engagement uh because she cheated on him even though he had already cheated on her they didn't seem Mm -hmm. to care about that but because and and that's why they loved him so much also i think because he had been wronged by a member of their family so that made them love him all the more and because he finally quote unquote was able to find love again after being so horribly ruined by her that made it where okay He's okay now. We can let you be a part of the family again. It's it's kind of a funky thing, and I I think that's that's my interpretation of it. But All right. yeah, like you said, we're not from mafia family. So if any of our listeners are our mafia us, families, yeah, let us know if if we're in the right on that one. From a, from afar, just send us yes. a tweet. Yes, that's the, as close as we need to get. Yes. Uh, so the main story. Uh, the main romantic story uh, outside of the fantastic Angelica Houston is uh, is between Charlie and Kathleen Turner. And um, so, I, you know, when I thought about this movie before I would watched it again, I, I had associated it with War of the Roses. Oh, yeah. Which was uh, Michael Douglas and... Um, that was a little Kathleen, different. That was yeah, Kathleen but, Turner, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And Danny DeVito. And Danny DeVito. And... Yes. That's that's how I remembered Pritzi's honor, and and I was pleased uh, at just how um, I don't know what's the word delicately the the romance and the twist of their relationship is unveiled. Uh, it's it's that really dark sort of comedic pacing, not that slapstick comedic right. pacing, and and I found that really appealing. Um, you know, the upshot is he falls in love with her at a wedding. Turns out she was the hired contract killer um, to, you know, uh, assassinate another enemy of the family. 
and uh, they keep getting each of them, uh, you know, Charlie and Irene keep getting these, uh, you know, these sort of jobs to and eventually end up killing each other. Right. Uh, but but the way that is is paced through long scenes of long sh- dialogue shots um, that that I didn't find overwhelming or heavy handed. I just felt like they were giving me a great story. It was it was much more of sort of a novel on screen for me. Yeah, which you know could come from uh, John Huston's love of adaptations, right? And from the book itself, which I haven't read. But uh, it, it does have kind of a, a novelistic feel to it. It doesn't feel like um, a, a typical like gun-toting mafia film, and it, it is a mafia comedy, a moffity, if you will. <laughs> and that's a series, <laughs> a moffity. Is that right. a thing? I mean, have you heard that? Are you making? That I, up? I'm making that up. I'm going to add I'm it to our a, lexicon. I'm, make, I'm making a note. <laughs> That's right. How would you spell Moffity? M-A-F-E-D-Y. Yeah, Moffity. It's a mafia comedy. That's right. And I think that's that's an element of it that I think kind of initially distracts me when I'm watching it. And then once I kind of get into the groove of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, it is kind of a comedy. I mean, you've got some some real quirky situations. You've got this love story between Irene and Charlie that just happens out of the blue. Like literally it is one of those like, you know, sleepless in Seattle sorts of love stories where they, they look at each other and they just know, you know, Right, they know, and I I love that because you know this came out in 1985, and there was sort of a uh, that I feel like there were a lot of movies in orbit in the mid 80s uh, that that were like that. You know, when you have um, uh, Prelude to a Kiss and Sleepless in Seattle, and and all well, you know, all those that came out a little later. But the 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 point is, it happened over a matter of hours. Uh, they knew they were going to get married in a matter of of you know 24 hours. Right, um, and uh, and so that, you know, if you can get through that, uh, then this ends up being a quaint romance film as well. Yeah, yeah. I could get yeah. through that. I felt yeah. good about that. I I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy that element of the story. And I, I like the the struggle that he ends up having because when he finds out that uh, you know that she's involved in other things other than this contract killer that they'd hired but in fact she also stole a ton of money from them right. and now he's got to get it back and and he can't and the only option is to kill her uh, you know like it becomes a really interesting struggle for him as essentially kind of a a stupid man that he has to struggle between love and and the family honor Right. And and I like that. And it is interesting that uh, you could see this film going a completely different direction. In fact, I think in most cases, films like this with a story like this goes the other direction where the two star-crossed lovers love will uh, is the strength that they have and nothing else can tear them apart. Screw the family. Screw everyone else. Normally, that's how the stories go, right? Yeah, Romeo, Juliet, all of that. This is an interesting film where he goes the opposite direction and says, "No, no, no, I, I have this blood oath to the family, and as much as I love you, and as much as you are the person for me, I'm going to throw a knife through your neck." 
Yeah, I, you know that that I, I think that's a really good point, and that that sort of brings us to Houston, uh, and and the the Houston the Houston sort of cinematic DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I found myself thinking, you know, there just uh, the way uh, the name always gets me, Andrej Bartholiak. Uh, Anjay, Anjay, Andrej. It's Anjay Bartkowiak. Yeah, Anjay Bartkowiak. You've been practicing that just to uh-huh. make me look bad. That's right. I, I... Uh, the the <laughs> it's sort of this combination of you know the low almost Dutch tilt you know uh, sort of noir in a movie that is otherwise a in color, uh, and I, I think that was jarring to me having spent so much of the last you know three four weeks working in in black and white. And the overall tone of darkness that is in this film, insofar as we are we are encouraged to you know from an audience perspective to really fall in love with kind of the Nicholson Catholic uh, Nicholson Turner role and the innocence of and craziness of the Houston role, and yet all of these people have fault, and and that is they're I mean you know they're all sort of part of a dark crime family. Um, and I think it's it's fun to kind of feel yourself let go of the fact that there isn't a good guy in this film. Yeah. And that's very Houston to me. Yeah, you have a lot of really uh, human characters. Like, they all have faults. They all feel real. Even though it's kind of a broad comedy in the sense of, of how things play out and all that, it still feels like a, a group of, of real people that are all just kind of struggling with, you know, decisions in day-to-day life, even right. if they do happen to be in the mafia. And they're, yeah, they're criminals, right? I mean, you think about it, even uh, even the phone call to Peaches, right? The um, uh, Peaches, the uh, the housekeeper. The lovely CCH Pounder. The lovely the Shield. CC- exactly. CCH Pounder. She is stoned to the bejesus belt. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's like a, a 45 second phone call. And it, we're introduced to this character who is otherwise, your, your expectation is this otherwise sort of innocent answering the phone kind of housekeeper. And even she is getting stoned on the company dime. Yep. I, I find that fascinating. I found that, that whole, the, the whole environment fascinating. I found myself constantly checking myself that this was a movie and, uh, that was sort of so true to so much of what Houston has had, uh, John Houston had done. Uh, so many years ago and how consistent uh, his approach to filmmaking was. Yeah, definitely, definitely true. And it's interesting uh, fitting in with with the author, um, Richard Condon, and his books is he, he really wrote books and stories that were about organizations and uh, faulty organizations. And it's interesting going from The Manchurian Candidate, which he wrote back in the 60s, and looking at this, uh, Prissy's Honor, and you're seeing like this government, this, this, you know, creepy program that's trying to essentially take over the government. And now you've got the mafia and, and people dealing with their loyalties and, and their relationships with these organizations. And it is there. The organizations almost have their own lives in these films that that and stories that uh, Condon is telling. And I I sense that that is something that really drew Houston to the story. It's it seems like something that really fits in with with what he the stories sorts of stories that he wants to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, and 
Gosh, so uh, so look, think about the uh, don't don't bring it up. I know you probably have it open in a tab, but do can you name how many of the top five films of 1985? Can you name 1985? Well, I already said. Um, uh, uh, now I'm forgetting what I said. William Hurt, he won Best Actor for uh, uh, The Kiss of the Spider Woman. So there's that and this and gosh. And, and yet Kiss of the Spider Woman did not enter the top 20. Yeah. Right. Well, there you go. Uh, I don't think so. Well, is, is uh, no, Back to the Future takes place in 1985. Number one. Yeah. Number one in 1985. Number two and number three, same actor. Uh, secret, of, secret of my success in Teen Wolf. No, oh, this is so good. <laughs> oh, same actor, but not from Back to the Future. No, no, the same actor in the number two and number three spots. Oh, okay. I was thinking of Michael J. Fox. Oh, sorry. No. Uh, okay, so number two and number three in 1985. 1985. Ah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Sly, Sly Stallone. Oh, okay. Ram- Rambo First Blood Part 2 and Rocky 4. Oh, there you go. Uh, and then The Color Purple and Out of Africa. Ah, uh, sure, uh, yeah. But you look at the rest of them. I mean, Cocoon, uh, the Jewel of the Nile, Goonies, Spies Like Us, Police Academy 2, crazily enough, Fletch, European Vacation, um, The Breakfast Club, White Nights, I know uh, is a high one on your list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Brewster's Millions. I mean, there are a lot of big comedies in 1985, and uh, yeah. and uh, it's interesting that I, you know, f- interesting to me that that Pritzi's Honor, um, it, you know, I, they didn't expect it to be a big success, and so it was sort of rushed to to uh, market, and it ended up building sort of that sleeper vibe and and becoming a success of its own momentum. It didn't make the top twenty, but. Uh, uh, you know, it it sort of fits the. It, you can see sort of how it fits in the tone of the films that that did. You know, it's a, it's it takes an interesting story and makes it sort of goofball and cute and uh, and uh, dark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It uh, is the sort of film that seems like it will slowly find its audience. Right. right. So yeah, I need to go watch White Nights again. Greg, Gregory Hines. I, I'm going to start singing. Totally. What, was the, what was that song? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. So was that Say You, uh, Say Me? Say, yeah, there you go. Say it together. And uh, Nat- and, and separate, separate Lives. Phil Collins. Uh, I don't remember that one. What? I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm having such a hard time not breaking into <laughs> you know who I love? I love that Isabella Rosalini. This is not a show about white knights. Let's get back to the point because I could talk about this online. <laughs> so, right. so interestingly, um, this film was made when Angelic Houston and Jack Nicholson were a couple. That is interesting. They were a couple, yet because of the relationship in the film, Angelica Houston felt that in order to uh, keep everything uh, right, that she and Jack could not live together while they were making the film. Um, they, 
she said that they needed to live in different hotels while on location in Brooklyn because she didn't want to be bringing home the character baggage at night. And, uh, uh, you know, she had a great line. She said, uh, Jack said that he generally dropped Charlie Partana toward dinner time. I said that I often carried May Rose through to dessert. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, so I think that yeah, it, I think that uh, they were bringing their characters home, and they needed to kind of live apart uh, for a little while. So I think that's kind of funny. That is funny. Yeah. And huh. you know, we mentioned already that uh, she did win her Oscar uh, for supporting actress. This is the second time that John Huston directed a family member to uh, to a supporting uh, acting Academy Award. Yeah. And the the first was was his father from, from uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which we've talked about. And if you yeah. haven't heard, you should go back and listen to it. Absolutely, that absolutely. A, man, that was a great movie. It is. It's really fantastic. So how it, do you? I I feel like I've kind of uh, I've kind of droned on about how I feel like this movie fits the Houston vibe. What's your? I mean, what's your take as a filmmaker? It definitely has his storytelling. It, it's it's all about character. The whole thing really feels about these characters, and and Houston really uh, connects to the characters. And the filmmaking style is not an in-your-face style. It's it's kind of set back. It's letting you enjoy it. I mean, it does have some of those, like you were saying, those noirish sorts of angles and everything. But for the most part, he's really kind of letting the characters uh, live and and tell their story. Um, the Andrzej Barkawiak's uh, cinematography, I think, has a, just a nice, lush, rich look. Um, he's been doing this forever. And he actually, I think he's jumped to director a few times. Uh, but I mean, if you look at his his list of uh, cinematography roles, I mean, I, I don't know if he's hasn't. Yeah, you know, he's still working. Not a lot. He looks like he took like a ten year break uh, from two thousand to two thousand eleven, and uh, actually, that's when he was doing his directing with awful films. Sometimes when cinematographers decide to start directing, they do nothing but just garbage. Romeo Must Die, Exit Wounds, Cradle to the Grave, Doom, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Those are all the films he's been directing. But as a cinematographer, you've got The Verdict, Terms of Endearment, Pritzi's Honor, The Morning After, uh, Twins, Let's see, falling down. You've got Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak. <laughs> Speed. You know, I mean, he's he's a guy. I mean, he does his action stuff. He yeah. definitely does his action stuff. But he's a great cinematographer. I think he brings a really just nice, natural look to the whole film. It just always looks clean. Looks just, uh, just it looks good. It looks like a just a good looking film. Um, Rudy Fair came on as editor for this film. Who. I believe he had retired from editing, uh, but he had worked with uh, John Huston on Key Largo. So he had been around forever, and then he oh, retired. Time, yeah. yeah, he retired in 1954, not that long after Key Largo. He did a few more films. I think uh, Dial M for Murder was one of his last films he did before he retired. And then he uh, Houston wanted him to come back, and he, so he came back, and he brought his daughter... Um, uh, what's her name? Fair Joe uh, Kaja Kaja Fair, and uh, they edited this film together and got an uh, Academy Award nomination for it. So, uh, so they did a great job with the editing of the film. And 
Don Feld did the uh, costumes, uh, really nice costumes in this film. And, you know, he's he is uh, his name is Don Feld, but he goes by Don Feld, which just <laughs> seems like he was destined to be a costume designer. Oh, doesn't it? <laughs> That's funny. But he designed the costume for uh, Linda Carter in Wonder Woman, which is exciting. I, I, yeah, that's it is exciting. That's and pretty space exciting. Balls. And space. <laughs> the big helmet. Did he, did he design the Schwartz? <laughs> oh, uh, the dark helmet's helmet. Epic. So yeah, so you know, it's a a great team of people came on board to uh, to make this film, and uh, I thought they did a a, a bang up job with it. Um, jumping back into other actors also who I think are worth pointing out. Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. This was his first film. I looked at the film twice and I still couldn't figure couldn't out where figure he is. Couldn't figure it out. He was He's, soldier. Yeah. Wherever he is. If you know where he is, let us know. That was great. But Lawrence Tierney also pops up in this as Lieutenant Hanley. Lawrence Tierney is an amazing actor who, um, you know, Tarantino fans will know that he was in Reservoir Dogs. But he's a man who was a great noir actor back in the day. Uh, he was in Dillinger, and he was in Born to Kill, some just absolutely great noir films from the 40s. Uh, definitely a guy who uh, has been around the block and is somebody that's worth uh, worth looking at. So, you know, he really... Um, Houston, who was really sick when he was making this, kind of the 80s, he really had a hard time. He was... I, I, was it emphysema that he had? He was kind of walking around with his, um, I think it was emphysema. He was yeah. walking around with his oxygen tank all the time. Right, right. Um, I, it was around this time, between this and The Dead, which is his his next film and his last film, uh, those, uh, you know, he was just yeah. really, really, really sick and had a hard time. And I think that, um, you know, I, he just really wanted to tell a good story, tell a story about some really interesting characters because this is a man who is all about storytelling. He had the spirit, the creativity, the drive to to get stuff up on screen. And even though he was at this point frail and dying, he still wanted to get some more films out there. So in the 80s, he, you know, he was pretty consistent. He did Phobia in 1980, Victory in 81, Annie in 82, under the Volcano in 84, Pritzi's Honor in 85, and The Dead in 87. Right. You know, and, and he died in 1987 at the age of 81. So he was directing Pritzi's Honor at the age of 79, 78, 79. Wow. You don't get a lot of directors who are still directing great quality films at that age. No, you sure don't. Uh, so, how would you uh, how would you summarize the uh, the collection that we've done in this run? Well, let's see. We did uh, Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, what am I missing? Key Largo. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, what's what's what I'm missing? Asphalt Jungle. Asphalt Jungle. Thank you. And and Fritzy's Honor. We we do our African Queen. Well, an African queen, which, yeah, we did in our Jack Cardiff series, but yeah. definitely something that is a part of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, again, Houston is a an actor's director. He really loves big characters in interesting stories. 
uh, he definitely loves crime stories. That definitely played a big part. He loves people who deal with, uh, you know, situations that are big and that they don't necessarily succeed at. I think I talked last time about the nature of fate in his films and how uh, fate often plays a part in the in the films, like they did in in the African Queen, like it does in in the Asphalt Jungle. This one, I, I it doesn't seem fate so much as as really kind of family, and I, it's it's interesting because now that he's you know in his late seventies, by the time he's making this, family is obviously a very important part of his life and something that that he really cares about. And so it, it's interesting to me that this is a film that he decides to do both this, this, this and the dead as two films that seem very kind of family oriented um, as his last two films, uh, just kind of showing his connection to. Yeah, to, you know, to just, the sensibilities of family. I mean, I was yeah, going to, I right. was going to say the dead is just really, I mean, you can see that sort of uh, in so many ways that intimacy is um, really sort of a, is, that's kind of the pinnacle of his filmmaking in terms of, of familial intimacy and the lessons that come from family. Absolutely. Absolutely. So fantastic. Uh, he, well, this has been awesome. So I, uh, you know, there are, uh, I, we're going to come back to Houston, I think. Right. I think so. I, I think it will be fun to look at a few more of his films. I mean, he's got a lot of films, a lot of really interesting ones, a lot of really bad ones, but they're all entertaining. Well, they're entertaining, and and what I find we what we haven't done really is focus on any of the um, um, on on any of him as an actor. Uh, yeah, you know everything we've done is is writer director, and I think there are so many films uh, that um, you know he's just terrific uh, as an actor, and and um, you know maybe we'll talk about Man from the South again. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Hope he does. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, this was this has been a. Uh, uh, it's really been fantastic to go back and revisit these films. Uh, in, highly encourage you to go pick them up, check them out, and watch them, and uh, and then listen on with us some more. Definitely. Do you have anything else? Have I missed anything? Well, one thing. Oh yeah, yeah. We got to rate it. Yeah, you ready? Totally. All right. Well, let's uh, add it to our flick chart and see where it ends up. Like I said, it's not one of my favorite films. I definitely uh, find it watchable. But again, it's, you know, I probably would watch other films over it. Yeah, so, totally. So here we go. Princey's Honor or The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> see, I would choose The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of don't feel like ever watching Dark Knight Rises again, but... <laughs> God, you are mean spirited sometimes. It was just such a letdown to me. Please. I probably would watch Dark Knight Rises, though. I'll go with that. Hmm. Okay. Princey's Honor or The Parallax View? Oh, it's such a toss up for me. I'd watch The Parallax View. Why? I just, I enjoy the the darkness and the, uh, the, the political intrigue and that really dark ending where the conspiracy and the paranoia is true and you know i just i find that really yeah if you're gonna go dark that's where you want to go yeah all right all right i'll give you that yeah princey's honor or bullet oh i bullet yeah Pretty Anna or alien <laughs> resurrection totally Pr- princey's honor <laughs> 
or Key Largo. Oh, here we go. Some Houston yeah, on right? Houston. Houston on Houston. I would watch Key Largo. I think I would too. All right. And we're now at number 69 out of 73. Oh, your internet's going hog wild. <laughs> 60, you just said 69 out of 73? 69 out of 73. I love it. Yeah, I can't believe it's I can't I honestly can't believe it's that, that low, but I think that's testament to all the great movies that we've already talked about. Well, it was called movies we like, so <laughs> it is pretty populated with movies that we with do movies like we do like, yeah, and and three that we don't. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, uh, good talk, man. Definitely, and uh, we will be talking soon. Yeah, we should do that. We should do this again next week. Let's. All right. I'll talk to you then. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.